go ahead and look at the book of Matthew. So on Sunday, we started a new series that is working. We're going to work our way through the themes of the book of Matthew. We're not going to go uh, verse by verse through every part of the book, but we're really focusing on what Matthew's theme is, which is the kingdom of God and kingdom living is going to be what we talk about. So because we're kind of moving through it quickly in a survey fashion, what I want to do is on Wednesday nights, I want to take a little bit more time and I want to go back through some of the things that we might miss on Sunday mornings. So this is a chance for us to go a little bit deeper and both we'll look at some things that are uh, maybe doctrinal or some scriptural background to the passages. So you'll get a little bit more insight on what we're looking at on Sundays. But then we might take a little bit more time to talk about the application, to talk about how all this applies to our hearts. So if you remember, and we're going to move around a little bit, so have your Bibles ready. And I don't, we're a little short-staffed, and I don't have the scriptures on the screen and things like that. So you just have to turn the old-fashioned way back and forth in your Bible, ready to go. And I want to start um, in Matthew 3, which is where we begin on Sunday. So look with me at Matthew 3, and I'd have you take a look at verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then if you were to look back down to chapter number four, skip over to chapter four with me and look down at verse number 23, chapter four and verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of what? The kingdom. There it is again. The kingdom is there again. And now if you were to move down into chapter number 5, and you were to look at verse number 3, Matthew 5 and verse number 3, it's Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The kingdom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, as I mentioned, you'll find all throughout Matthew's gospel, this emphasis on the kingdom. So what I want to do tonight is I want to speak a little bit more about that, show you a little bit of background. And I want to ask you this. I think, I feel like when people say today, when Christians talk about the kingdom, you know, and, and that's a popular term, live in the kingdom or uh, serve the kingdom or kingdom this or kingdom that. I think sometimes people speak of it really like in a big, broad brush, spiritual gen generalization. And so when they talk about the kingdom, well, what do people, what do they normally mean? Or what do you think? What, what comes to mind when people say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So generally speaking, giving God glory uh, rather than ourselves. Anybody else? Like people think about the kingdom. What, what, what might they be referring to? Okay, so some people might think of it specifically as, as heaven, like as a separate place from here. 
that we belong to in the future, but not necessarily now, so some people could have that idea. What else comes to people's mind when they think about the kingdom, if I were to say the kingdom? The church, okay. They, that's actually a really good point. So when, when I say the kingdom, people may think of the church. Is the, are the kingdom and the church the same thing? How many would say, yes, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the church are the same thing? Who would say they are the same? How many of you would say they're different? The kingdom is different than the church. How many of you, you say different? Okay, very confident different there. Absolutely, that is, that's exactly correct. So, is the church a part of God's kingdom? Yes, it is. But as James said, it doesn't make up the entire kingdom of God. Why do you say that? Obviously, you've got some thought behind that. Okay, so that's one good example. People who have already died are part of the kingdom of God. Any other reasons why we would say that the church and the kingdom are not synonymous while the church is a part of the kingdom? Anybody? Um, all of that is true. Yeah, all that is true. I, I'm not sure it answers the question of what, why. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just why the church and kingdom not the same thing, but the church is part of other reasons. We got a, a few. Yep. Yeah. Well, kind of, kind of. Except I think what we're, what the, the point here is this. The kingdom of God is speaking, or the kingdom of heaven is speaking with a much broader umbrella. Whereas the church accomplishes a specific purpose in God's kingdom work. When, when has God's kingdom work been taking place? Not, not really a trick question. When has God's kingdom work been taking place? Always. God's kingdom work has always been at place. And how has he manifested it in different ways? Well, in the Old Testament, he set up a physical kingdom in a nation. And that nation was called Israel. And that was the kingdom of God on earth at that time. Now, was that the full kingdom even then? It was not. It was a foreshadow of a greater kingdom. And then the church is brought in. And now Israel and the church are one and part of the kingdom of God. But then there is a future kingdom that the Bible speaks about where God's reign and rule will be complete. It will be accomplished among all people at that day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God has been about the work of gathering a people to himself from the very beginning of time. He has used different means and different operations to do that. So when we speak about the kingdom, as I understand the kingdom and as I will teach it, 
The kingdom of God refers to the ultimate plan of God to bring about his rule and reign on the earth. So, is his kingdom in operation today? Absolutely. His kingdom has always been in operation. Is his kingdom work complete? Will there be a day when his kingdom work is complete? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the problem is, when Jesus comes on the scene, the people of that day, they had a limited view of the kingdom. Now, of all of the things that we discussed so far, what one aspect of the kingdom were they fixated on? What part of the kingdom was their focus? Okay, I, yes, so, but they had an incomplete picture of it, but the reigning and ruling. But what other part of the kingdom were they fixated on? Of all the things we've mentioned, what part of the kingdom were they convinced was the sum and total of God's kingdom? The, the, these Jewish people who are hearing the message of the kingdom that we just went through, they believe in the kingdom of God, just like you did, except they didn't have a complete view. They're fixated on one part of God's kingdom, or one aspect of God's kingdom, because they're completely oblivious to the fact that God's kingdom, just like some people say, like you said, that the church is the kingdom. Yes, but not completely. Their viewpoint would have been, what is the kingdom? Right, but regarding what? Yeah, so my dad knows where I'm going with this. Their view of the kingdom of God is national Israel. So that they could not see that God's kingdom could possibly expand beyond Israel. That it had to be completely and only centered on Israel. Whereas what Jesus is going to do, now he's not going to come immediately and say, that his kingdom is, is beyond Israel. He's going to take time to show them that, but he's going to hint at it all along. For God so loved who? The world. He's going to minister to the Samaritans. He's going to show that God's kingdom work. Israel was an important tool for advancing God's kingdom, but it was not the totality of the kingdom. And I think the Bible bears that out, and you see that. But it's a really important concept because... How you understand the kingdom of God affects how you interpret all of the Bible. Now, can you misinterpret the kingdom of God and still be a Christian? Of course you can. But you're going to struggle to understand how all of the parts relate to each other if you don't understand what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God, as I would, as I would put it, is God's, God's working through different means and different people to accomplish his work ultimately resulting in the rule and reign of Christ for all mankind. Now, so that we are a part of it, they have been a part of it. And Matthew, as I shared with you a little bit on Sunday, I shared with you that Matthew brings us through these kingly themes right from the very beginning. And it's kind of cool to see, so I want to show you that tonight. So go back to Matthew chapter 1, and if you were to look at the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 1, you would have the genealogy of Christ. Begat, 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 begat. You get it, right? I actually know a guy that wrote a song, Matthew's Begats, and it's a fun song for kids. He goes, all of them. It's like, yeah. 
So all these begats, but what is he doing in these begats is he's tracing, he's tracing the birth of Jesus, he's tracing the lineage of Jesus back to Abraham, but he's tracing the lineage of, he's tracing the lineage of David back to Abraham through King David. Through King David. So we are seeing the kingly, we are seeing the, the Spanish church has been completed tonight. We've, it's been accomplished. Perfect. So we'll let them settle in there and we'll go. Hey. All right. So it's being traced through David, the greatest king, the promised king. So, in fact, there's a summary in verse 17. Look down at Matthew 1 and 17. Matthew 1 and verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now David... David is very significant here. Why is David so significant? Why is the lineage being traced through David? Because he is the what? He's the king. If you were in Israel and you thought about the kingdom, you would think of King David. Now, there were a lot of kings. Probably second to David, people would think of Solomon. But why would David be the ultimate king that they think of? Yes, Okay, absolutely, because he was a great king. Why else? Absolutely, absolutely. He's the most mentioned king, right? Why else is David central in this idea of the kingdom? Exactly. Because David was the one who received the kingdom promise. But he's not the only one here that received the kingdom promise. Who else did in, this, in verse uh, 17? Abraham. So in, in Matthew 1.17, Abraham was given a promise that there would be a people. The kingdom promise is given to Abraham. The kingdom promise is also given to David. And let's, let's look, for instance, at the kingdom promise to David. Look back at 2 Samuel, please. So back in your Old Testament to 2 Samuel. And 2 Samuel and chapter 7. This is the promise. This would, have been, this would have been well known, probably memorized by just about everybody. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. He says in verse number 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, in other words, when you die, I will set up your offspring, thy seed, after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his what? You with me? I'm going to establish his what? His kingdom. He'll build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. I will be his father, he shall be my Son, if, I, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. 
but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul. Verse 16, and thine house, David, he's talking to David, and thine house and thy what? Kingdom shall be established, how long? Forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established, how long? Is it possible we could be misunderstanding the duration of the kingdom of David? <laughs> it's repeated three times. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Back to Matthew 1 and 17. As we get ready to be introduced to Jesus, and also the, and so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. So what's the problem? What happened to David's kingdom? What happened to his kingdom? Yes? It got captured. It came to an abrupt end. It stopped. The kingdom at this point stopped. Now, what's the problem? The kingdom was promised what? Forever. But the Babylonians take the kingdom away. However, in the meantime, the prophets come. Prophets like Jeremiah. Uh, before Jeremiah was Isaiah. So as these prophets come, they say that, yes, the kingdom is being carried away, but the kingdom will be what? It will be restored. The kingdom will be restored. So right here, in fact, let's read this as you would if you were a Hebrew. So we're in the middle of verse 17. From David to the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto who? Uses Jewish title. Unto who? Messiah. That's what Christ is. It's the Greek of the Hebrew Messiah. Unto Messiah are 14 generations. So this, yes, sir. I'm sure there, are, there is something significant to it, but you got me on that one. So actually, it's been bantered back and forth a little bit because there's some dispute about the timing and all of that. So it's a good little side study to do sometime. But I don't have anything for you right now. Um, but thanks for the question to keep me humble up here. So it's good stuff. No, no, it's fine, though. I like questions. If I, know, if I don't mind saying I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to study. So... Um, so, what I'm emphasizing is this idea of the theme of his kingship is from the very beginning of this book, but it carries on. So, if you skip over to chapter number two, chapter number two, and it's funny because if you were to read the accounts, if you were to read the accounts in the gospel of in the Gospel of Luke, you see just a very different emphasis. You don't get this dialogue with Herod. It's not there. Um, but it's here in, in Matthew. And I think, given the, the kingdom theme of Matthew, it's no, no accident. And so he says here, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the what? Does Herod have any right to the throne of David? Not at all. 
Herod has no right to the throne of David. Herod is on the throne because who put him there? The Romans did. The Romans put Herod there. Herod does not have the right. So, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is, what's the word? Born king of the Jews. Well, the promise, the, the true king of Israel would come from the what of David? There's a little word that you might have missed. The lineage, yes, but it said the loins of David. In other words, he had to be biological offspring of David. The king of the Jews had, that was promised, had, that, that would live forever, had to be of the biological offspring of David. Herod does not. He's appointed the king. So these wise men come and they say, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? And if you know the story, Herod goes into a panic. He goes into a panic. Does he go into a panic because he doesn't believe the prophecies? He go, right. He goes into a panic because he does believe the prophecies. And here you see that a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness right here. The devil is trying to stop. Here's something fascinating. Does, does Satan know that Jesus has been placed in the womb of Mary? Does Satan know that? Why? Yeah, but does he know that there's a Jewish woman named Mary that the Holy Spirit has put a, has, has given the, does he know that? Well, why, why would, if the devil is trying to, to kill Jesus, why did they kill all the babies in Bethlehem? Why don't they just look for Mary and Joseph? I think we make a lot of assumptions. We don't know if the devil knows any of this information. What does the devil know? He knows. In fact, why is it that when it's not until Jesus starts preaching that all the demonic activity starts? Just think about your Bible. It's not until all the demonics, and what do the demons always say to Jesus? They say, we know what? We know who you are. We know who you are, but that doesn't happen early in the story. That doesn't happen until Jesus starts revealing himself. There's a, there's a battle of the, of, the, of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and here you, have, here you have the devil trying to stomp out, I believe, the very birth of the true king of the Jews. I think that for us to make the assumption that the devil knows everything, there's no reason for us to make that assumption. He knows what he's allowed to know. And so here you have this, this idea. So the kingdom is the, the devil and Herod are going to try to stop this kingdom from advancing. So they wipe out all the babies of that age in Bethlehem at that time. Nevertheless, the true king escapes. And then we have silence. We have Mary and Joseph take the baby king into 
Egypt. They hide out there. When Herod is dead, they come back. The angel says, hey, you can come back. The ones who seek to destroy the child, they've, they're gone. Now you can come back. Then silence until Jesus is 12 years old. He goes into the temple. 12 years old, he astounds the teachers. But then they leave. And then what do we have again for another 20 years? Silence. Just silence. I find it just really fascinating. Because remember, there is, a, there is a human aspect to this kingdom, and there's a spiritual aspect to this kingdom. And so there is silence until Jesus grows up to be about 30 years of age, and his cousin grows up. His cousin is John the Baptist. And so now we come to chapter 3, which was our text from Sunday. And in Matthew chapter 3, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We haven't seen a prophecy like this since, since Herod. This is, this is 30 years later. 30 years later, finally the word comes, John the Baptist, who is the last of the Old Testament prophets, stands up and in the tradition of Elijah, he says, in the tradition of Isaiah, he says, prepare the way because God's kingdom is here. It's at hand. It's ready. The kingdom is at hand. Now, was the kingdom at hand? Yes. But was the kingdom going to be completed? So what? So how could, if God's plan from the beginning has been for there to be Israel, the, then the death of Christ, the resurrection, then the church, and bring all this together, if God's plan has been for this not to happen now anyway, why is he saying the kingdom is at hand? When it's going to be thousands more years before the real fullness of the kingdom is experienced. Why is he saying the kingdom is at hand? Sure, I, I think that's good, yep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what they thought he meant when the kingdom was, was at hand. In order for the kingdom to be completed, what would have had to happen? For the kingdom to be complete and total, what would have had to happen? Jesus would have to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and rule the nations with a rod of iron. That is when the kingdom is complete, when Jesus rules the nations with a rod of iron. So why is John the Baptist saying the kingdom is at hand? Yeah, I think, I think it's because Jesus is here. It's because you cannot get any closer to the kingdom than to be present with Jesus, right? That this is it, that he is here, Christ is here. So what's happening now is he says the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. And now you see this, verse number three. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
Go back to that prophecy. Go back to Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah, and this is chapter 40. Take a look at that. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll wrap this up in five or six more minutes here. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 and see what exactly this is that is being fulfilled. Now Isaiah 40 in verse number 1 begins with this statement. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Well, does anybody know why, in verse number 2 says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Why would they need to hear words of comfort in Isaiah chapter 40? Does anybody know? Why would they need to hear words of comfort in Isaiah chapter 40? Yeah? Yeah, there's no kind of about it. For the first uh, chunk of the book, there's woes, woe, you're in trouble, you've, you've committed idolatry, you've, you've broken the law of God, you are a disobedient people, and we are going to send a nation in to destroy you. Now, this all happened before Isaiah even died. He's, a, he's, he's prophesying that this would come, but shortly after his death, it happens. So in, in chapter 40, he wants them to have this reference. So when the Babylonians do come and take them away, he wants them to have the scroll of Isaiah because he wants them to be able to look at this and say, look, in 39 chapters, God warned us this was going to happen. But, oh, get to chapter number 40, there's hope. Get to chapter number 40 in the scroll, and there's hope that's promised here. So give comforting words to my people. Let her know in the middle of verse 2 that her warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, how shall you know? How will they know? How will they know that it's been fulfilled? Verse number three. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. These were words that they would have cling, clung to. I think that's the, the word, clung. Have cling, clung, clinging, something like that. They would have held fast to these words for 500 years. And they would have been living in Babylon. And then they would have been controlled by the Romans. And they would have said, oh, but wait, there is one, there's comfort coming. There's comfort coming. And so that's exactly what happens when John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he comes on the scene and he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So now it's here. And Matthew is leading us through all of these themes. But then, as we saw, what happens? And you guys have all mentioned it already tonight. Already tonight, you've mentioned what happens. That 
they are expecting, what they do not see is the spiritual work that Christ has to accomplish first. I don't think even John the Baptist understands it all. He doesn't know all of it yet because it's not been revealed. It's referred to in some places as a mystery. And so what happens, though, is John foretells what Jesus is going to do. And he tells them that they are not in good shape to receive the kingdom. Now, do you think those would have been astounding words to them? Surprising to them? That you're not ready for the kingdom. That was a surprise to a lot of them. Not to the masses, but to the religious leaders. They were not prepared for that. There's one other kingdom theme I want you to see here in Matthew chapter, because we, again, we skipped over, we'll skip over a lot of this on Sunday morning, so I want to trace these themes with you. So there's something that happens before Jesus starts preaching. In chapter number four, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Do you remember this part of the story? The devil is still on a mission to, I want you to see this underlying spiritual warfare part of it. The devil seems to think that he can stop the kingdom of God from going forth. He thinks he can stop it. And so he gives Jesus these temptations. And is it not ironic, the, the temptation in verse number 8, the last temptation? Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the what? All the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says to them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, when you understand the work of the kingdom that Jesus came to do, the work of the kingdom that Jesus came to do, when you understand that, you understand why the devil could offer Jesus all these kingdoms. Why could Satan offer all these kingdoms to, G to, to Jesus? Yeah. Because who had the dominion at this time over the kingdoms of the world? Satan does. And he still does. He has this dominion. But do you remember the picture in the, in the book of Revelation when it's all done and it says, for now the kingdoms of this world have been delivered, have been given to Jesus. That's when it's all going to be finished. Yes. Yes. Good and loud. The air conditioner's Right. So, at the time, and currently, the Bible refers to Satan as the prince and the power of the air. So, the systems of the world are actually controlled by the devil. 
That's why when you read in Revelation, in the end times, in the last days, who is the one that's going to be running everything? Who will it be? Well, and specifically who? The Antichrist. So Satan, Satan has been allowed this kingdom, but we know the prophecy that the kingdoms will be given to, to Jesus, that he will lead victoriously. Does that answer the question? It does. Have you been live translating the whole thing tonight? Muy excelente. Mucho excelente? Yeah, yes? Bueno. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that has been his... It, why did he rebel in the first place when he knows that who God is? So... Right. So, you and I should think of ourselves as kingdom exiles in this world today. That we belong to, yes, we should think of ourselves as kingdom exiles. So, we belong to God's kingdom, but his kingdom is not, has not been fully achieved yet on this earth. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Now, is our praying thy kingdom come going to bring the kingdom any faster? No. But what is it expressing? We desire his kingdom. Not our kingdom. Not the kingdoms of this world. And so Jesus is going to, what we see in Matthew, and, and again, Matthew is a wonderful book, because all of the Gospels Give us a different portrait of Jesus. In Matthew, he is the king. And he is the one that Revelation tells us will come and take the kingdom someday. And we belong to it. Now, does that mean that the other gospels don't show Jesus as the king? No, that's not the point. But you will see above everything else, Jesus as king. And so when you read Matthew, it's important to have that as the, under, the, um, the background information. Because a lot of people, they, they struggle to read the Gospels in context. The teachings that we see in Matthew are related to his kingdom. In fact, some of Matthew's teaching will be about the future kingdom. You were asking me, Mike, about, the Olivet, about Matthew 24. So again, understanding, well, what part of the kingdom is Jesus talking about? And that'll be really important as we study the whole book for this, these next, probably... probably uh, Two months as we, as we look at this. Again, we'll move fast through it. On Sunday mornings, I'm going to show major practical themes that apply to our lives. 
And Wednesday nights, we'll take time to kind of fill in the gaps of the things that we miss. So I'd encourage you to plug in for both Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights as we work our way through these themes, these kingdom themes in the Gospel of Matthew. Yes? Well, a lot of people say that Mark shows Jesus as the Son of Man, the suffering servant. We see him serving and ministering. And uh, um, Luke, people would say, uh, my mind slipped me. I forget. And then John is Son of God. His deity just runs all throughout. Yeah. I forgot Luke all of a sudden. My, my brain is not working, so... All right, we need to wrap up and go to our prayer time. So would you mind getting that, the stream? Thanks. Lord, we thank you that we've had this time to study together. I pray that you'd help uh, your word to uh, just speak to our hearts, help us to be um, just students of the word, Lord, but then help it not to just be book learning for us, but help it to sink into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.